Hello and welcome to my poetry corner. This is my favorite corner in the world and now it can be yours too. Hello and welcome to Poetry FM 101. You are tuning in to season 2 and I'm so excited to be doing this with you. Now, season 1 was all about myself and my poetry and after that I've been thinking what can I do different for season 2? which is when i thought why not bring in poets to have a conversation with me and ask them to recite some of their works get to know them personally and understand their views and perspective of poetry now i'm sure you've all heard my poet for this week recite one of their poetry on tuesday and you're probably thinking who is this person with such intense lines and such a great voice well I'm here to solve that mystery. Let me introduce you with absolute delight to my guest and poet for this week, Pradeep Dharmapalan. Pradeep ji, first of all, let me just say it's an absolute delight to have you here with me. I've been looking forward to doing this and I know you traveled across states to be here with me today. So, gratitude, absolute gratitude. Now I would love to go on and on introduce you to the audience but I think I'll leave that privilege to you and uh, so take it from here go ahead introduce yourself to the audience. Well, uh, first of all I'd also like to thank you for this opportunity it doesn't at least in my life it hasn't happened too often. So and I welcome these opportunities to discuss at least so to answer questions because it gives me the chance to to gather my thoughts and give them some shape or form because in general while going through life one is doing this or that and one doesn't really you know sit and give structure to all one's thoughts and opinions as they flit across one's mind or before one's eyes uh that said i i given the way i look at life myself uh i don't necessarily i prefer to say that i write poetry rather than that rather than call myself a poet which i suppose i i can see why people do it but uh i'm uh always i've always been uh, conscious of the fact that we define things and then become captives of those definitions so from that perspective i'd rather not uh, you know i don't go around advertising the fact that i'm a poet but i do write poetry i do or what i think is poetry and i do uh, like reading poetry and i've i do read quite a bit i mean contemporary as well as older stuff so from that perspective Yes, I guess I am a poet and uh, I do write poetry, I enjoy the whole business, but there is much more none of us is actually one thing or the other. We're just not a painter or this. So, I mean, I do other things also, like I do paint and I do uh take photographs. Again, I wouldn't call myself a photographer. Uh, <laughs> uh or I wouldn't call myself a painter. Uh but yeah, then I do I have I am attempting to complete a few novels. I am writing a play at the moment. So, yeah. one there's many things just like everybody else i'm not i don't think i consider myself anything extraordinary or special but we all have our own uh, aptitude for things and our own abilities inherent most of them are inherent we don't we probably develop them but we don't actually give birth to them ourselves uh, but then again these i also am aware and acknowledge the fact that these are all opinions these these are my opinions which can change and everybody else has an opinion in fact there are to my mind there are no facts in life everything is an opinion or a point of view 
Well, well that that was a wonderful introduction, and I can see that you've got a lot on your plate. Uh, at least your interests are very varied. So now, since you will not call yourself a poet, let me do that for you. I will call you a poet, <laughs> and we've all heard you recite uh, your one of your works on on our episode on Tuesday. So yes. let's take that one step further. Bring a little bit of a personal element into it, and could you recite one of your favorite poems here and now? Okay, here again. I, I don't mean to quibble. Uh, I don't want to be cantankerous <laughs> either or argumentative, but it's just that a finer point. Um, I don't have favorite poems because I have uh, quite a few. I mean, I've been prolific. I wouldn't say qualitatively, but quantitatively, at least I do write a lot of poetry. Uh, not all of it, obviously, is uh, sparkling gems of any kind. Uh, Shall we say one that you resonate with? Yeah. No, well, I'm d I'll read one, a fairly recent one, because I have, especially over the last 10 years, I've written quite a lot, uh, over 3,000 poems uh, in the last 10 years. So, um, but this one is fairly recent. Can I stop you right there? Sure. Did you say 3,000 poems yes. in the last 10 years? Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, but as I said, uh, I'm not saying that they're all kind of uh, works of art that are waiting to be picked up and put on, you know, in museums or anything of that kind. It's, yeah, it's been an output. Another feature of my um, output or my my writing is that I usually in, this, in the form of first drafts. It comes out, it, it, generally they tumble out. Not this one, but generally they tumble out. And I leave them as it is. They're all, all these 3,000, I say, uh, are all first drafts. I haven't gone back and revised or polished them. I probably intend to at some point, but something new happens. So, you know, they get pushed up back in the queue. Uh, you know, I, I, I lost count after, after I did my 100th. Mm -hmm. But I haven't reached 100 yet, so I'm mm -hmm. still in count. But 3,000 <laughs> is an insane number. Um, so maybe without making the rest of the world feel jealous about... Um, no, there is nothing to be jealous about. It's just that, it, as I said, uh, by writing it doesn't mean that it is of any, well, again, I guess modesty is required. But no, it's not I, th uh, I think we'll let the audience be the judges of that. And uh, we'll yeah. start with... Well, I did. Poem. Okay. I'll, as you wish. This is I'm here to do your bidding. <laughs> I'll comply. <laughs> uh, but here, what I meant, this one was slightly different, as I mentioned earlier is that this is an idea, this has come from an idea that sort of was, was in my mind, a germ of an idea that grew. Generally, I observe and, you know, things happen and it tumbles out. That's why, I, you know, I would almost say that I'm a conduit of sorts. I don't actually, things pass through me. Uh, well, it sounds rather scatological, actually, but no. <laughs> no but yeah. But in this case, I and this does happen occasionally, I haven't I had an idea which I then sort of mulled over for a period of time. And then again, it tumbled out. So what I'm trying to say is this is called, uh, this was written about a month ago, although the idea has been with me for some time. And it's called The Passion Tiger. Uh, the allusion is to The Thought Fox by Ted Hughes, in which he describes his uh, process of uh, the poet uh, in the process that in which poetry is uh, made or is created or comes to be, um, uh, where this is a slightly different take on that very same thing. So it's called the Passion Tiger. Sleepless yet untired, she moves, ceaselessly pacing within. Outside, 
The world rotates and revolves, and dusty people create din. Her casual majesty remains unseen, but her strong animal orders reek. Her movements do not suggest captivity, and her manner nothing weak. When, hidden from eyes, she springs, all fluidity, strength, and grace. No question is asked about who rules. No fool dares show a doubtful face. A fox always seeks a crevice to enter and with printed pages departs. It is the word of the tiger that he takes, her passion that moves implacable hearts. The wise and loud pronouncements of the bloated elders of the tribe leave no room to consider possibilities that no textbook or manual prescribes. Fallacies fester, myths live on, men embrace their preferred lies. The passion tiger reigns supreme, perfumed smoke into nostrils rise. That's it. <laughs> well, that was that was very captivating. Um, quick question. Yes. One or two off the rounds. Um, do you generally find yourself moving with the rhyme scheme? Is that um, uh, your poetic identity, or do uh, you also write poems that do not rhyme? I do write poems that do not rhyme, but this happens sort of automatically, as I and of course sometimes I have to resist the temptation, even when I'm, uh, you know, sort of. It's like things. I, like playing a tennis match with yourself. Um, so when I, a word appears in my head, I immediately the kind of a sound, same similar sounding word appears alongside. So I'm often tempted to, even when I'm writing blank verse, I uh, the, the sort of uh, the rhyming scheme tends to come in. But I, I resist that. And But there are rhythms without rhyme also. I mean, even in blank verse, there is a rhythm, or generally is. It can be, I suppose, some people can do it without it too, the more fractured kind of things you see happening. Do you is, find yourself having a preference between the two? Or the three? No, it's like children. I mean, you can have a lot of children, but, you know, uh, you might have much slight favorites, but generally you tend to be fair to all your children. So, yeah, so I'm sort of, I have postpartum depression sometimes, but, <laughs> <laughs> but no, they're all children and they're all, Equal in my eyes. <laughs> wow, you you definitely are a good father to your poems. Uh, actually, I'm a mother, <laughs> a bearded <Okay>. mother. <laughs> Make a note of that, if you will. <laughs> Which brings me to my second question: What was the idea behind this title, "The Passion Tiger"? Do you mean to say there are tigers that are not passionate? No, okay. no, no, no. As I was saying earlier, this alludes, there's a poem by Ted Hughes, who was a poet laureate till he died in 1999. Uh, he was also known uh, for, uh, for being Sylvia Plath's husband. Um, but yes, so he had written a poem called uh, The Thought Fox, in which he tried to describe how a poem is born. And he sits with a blank page, and then the thought fox enters the crevice, and there's this the stench of fox, and then the page it ends by saying the page is printed. In other words, the, the poem is born. Uh, and he seemed to suggest that it, you know, it comes from outside, 
uh, this being or this thought and then it comes into the brain and something happens and then magically mystically uh, you know there's this the poem is born what i'm trying to suggest here which is just a, a playful counterpoint is that uh, the actual the fox probably comes in from outside the thought comes in and leaves within a, the printed page but what is actually taking place is it's what's inside is a passion right. and the passion of the tiger so thought passion tiger fox fox tiger so that's is that's a kind of counterpoint i'm trying to make here because it is what it the printed page that the thought the, the thought fox um, uh, precipitates or makes happen is actually the result of the tiger within the passion within which is translated or transformed into the poem so the it's not just a thought because in fact i believe thought is also feeling feeling given shape and form or more structured thought uh, sorry feeling is a thought uh, i don't know I'm, i'm sure academics might uh, dispute that or debate that point but that's a different story but i see it as passion i mean i see it, well passion is as perhaps that's strong and maybe it's an overused word these days everyone is talking about their passion and this and passion that and as a result like uh, you know it becomes a cliche and it becomes and becomes slightly reluctant to use such terms but it's feeling it's emotion and this is what comes out i mean it you know a, a poem without emotion is not really a poem to my mind even if there is you know but generally they tend to be full of emotion if it's downplayed it's still a downplaying of emotion so there is always an element of emotion and that to my mind is got a lot to do with poetry than just the thought when you say thought again it's what the word implies you consider it to be dry and uh, right. structured and right. almost uh, objective which it cannot be it is uh, so that's where the passion tiger comes in definitely something to think about or you know everyone who considers poetry yeah and, i wouldn't spend my life thinking to... about it but yes uh, as a passing thought it might be interesting yes <laughs> it is interesting and i have to ask i love the way that you play with words and mm-hmm. also the the depth of knowledge and most importantly have you leave it open ended for people to think about and you we put in a concept and a radical concept too um, and then you just leave it there how did you come across the these kind of ideas is it is it from the books that you've read or is this just your thinking mind accepting that fox that comes in uh well you know as far as leaving things open ended is concerned i think if we are all of us are honest again this is a point of view everything is a point of view uh if we do not see things as open ended if we kind of speak in terms of certainty and we if we are definite about things we are actually uh, misleading ourselves or deluding or deceiving ourselves because uh our uh, capacity to understand things or uh, you know to appreciate what's going around us is limited we have physical limitations and limitations of the mind and so on so the information we have is limited the the means we possess to process that information is limited so to assume that we can you know make equivocal or unequivocal uh, definite statements about things 
is actually a fallacy. You, we cannot do that. Everything is, as I keep saying, it's an opinion, or at best it's a result of speculation, or it's hypothetical in nature. There are very few things that you know we can be certain about, death being one of them, or probably the only one. The rest is conjecture. So when I say something, I say that's why I keep qualifying my utterances by saying that they are you know, a point of view, and it is possibly so, uh, one keeps using words like perhaps and possibly and so on. Uh, because to say definitively and, and conclusively or and you're using universal absolutes is, uh, to my mind, wrong. Of course, a lot of people believe in certain things and they did, but that, to my mind, is uh, not a very honest way of looking. If you're, there's what we call, we used to call intellectual integrity. If we are to be true to ourselves and to our thought processes, we cannot speak in terms of, of certainties. It is all uncertain or point of view. I, I understand that. And, um, and I think, in fact, I largely agree with that point of view, although there are uh, topics of discussion there and debate. Obviously. And, and I love that. But <laughs> that is for another time. Probably we'll bring you in for another oh, podcast. Right. Another, another trip discussion. across states. <laughs> the state I live in is a state of insanity, actually. But anyway, <laughs> that's a joke. No, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so now this brings me to a question that I've been wanting to ask for a long time. More so particularly after having heard you explain the, the concept behind the poetry and, and how you go about the process, your process of, of arriving at poetry. Do you remember your tryst with poetry? When was the first time that you encountered it? Um, when was the first time you wrote a poem? And how did it feel? And when did you realize that you're a poet? Oh, I'm sorry, you don't consider yourself a poet. So No, when, I when do when I don't, yeah. <laughs> okay, so when did you realize that you can write poetry? Well, I... It sort of in those days, I mean, I am. This goes back. I have uh, a scrap of paper on which I'd written uh, some rhyme, like cat, hat, mat, that kind of thing, <laughs> um, when I was ten years old. So that goes back to 1971 when I have a, when I was ten years old. Yeah. So those so I knew. I learned early on that I could rhyme, and and this is obviously I was at school then, and we used to have fun uh, writing little ditties. Uh, and limericks were a favorite too. And I found that I had the uh, inherent or innate ability to to string up words that rhyme. Obviously, the rhythms were not all perfected at that stage. And I think, because somebody else asked me, a journalist once asked me a question about uh, this, and I discovered, to my surprise, actually, when I thought back, that it probably dates to a time when I used to read Enid Blyton's Five Findouters. Find that was a group called the Five. The mystery of this and the mystery of that, the mystery of the burning cottage and the mystery of the or the burnt cottage or whatever. And there was a character there, the leader of that group, a guy called Fatty, where Frederick Algernon Trotwell, his thing, his name was. And he also had this ability to string words together. And there was this character there, he used to kind of not get along with a village policeman who thought he was a pest and called him so. And that uh, character, that was Mr. Goon. And Mr. Goon had a nephew called uh, Urn or somebody who wanted to be a poet and was struggling to write poetry. And uh, Fatty ran in, oh, came in and uh, effortlessly 
wrote something which you know was a which greatly which the other guy found greatly admirable, uh, and it went something like this about it was about his uncle, Doctor uh, Mister Goon, and it ran like, uh, and when thou speakest, people say, now did I hear a donkey bray? So I found this very delightful then. So now I found that I could write that too. So I began writing things like that and, and in school. And then I began to kind of um, parody songs and poems. I remember Lochinwar, Ivanhoe, and all these kind of things. You know, Walter Scott's Lochinwar, I did a bit. Some of it was rather naughty stuff as well um, <laughs> for college and school. And there's songs like Summer Wine and uh, Seasons in the Sun. I won't obviously be letting your viewers uh, hear that right here it might be somewhat unparliamentary but uh, <laughs> but nevertheless yeah so that's how it was until and this is also a funny thing until facebook which people um, tend to dismiss or some people obviously tend to like it but usually it's considered uh, not very um, uh, well not something to be proud about or you know, that one, one engages in facebook activity is seen as a less than um, you know, high-brow thing to do. Um, but yes, it's when I started uh, posting my poems on Facebook that I discovered there were a small group of people who responded and uh, encouraged me that I began to write and uh, post more things, actually on almost on a daily basis, which accounts for all these 3,000 poems I was saying. It was almost a daily output. And uh, so that led to uh, you know my taking myself slightly more seriously and uh, buoyed by the uh, encouragement I was getting. But till then it was largely a solitary activity barring these things that one read for, in school and college for one classmate, one's classmates. But there was nothing that was you know, put out there for the world to see. Uh, and that made, led me to wonder uh, whether what I wrote was poetry at all because you know, to who's to say? What is poetry? And because any category has within it a whole range of subcategories, and you know things fall off the spectrum as well, on either either end, or somewhere in the between as well, probably sometimes. Uh, so there was this there are these courses run by this organisation known as Arvin in the UK, uh, and it's supported by the Arts Councils of England and uh, Wales and till about 10 years ago, Scotland as well, where they are these residential courses where all kinds of writing from you know, writing with children, writing poetry, writing a novel, short stories for television, et cetera, et cetera. All this is done. And most of these courses, I mean, 99% or more of these courses are for anybody interested in writing. But for certain poetry courses and certain uh, prose courses, they ask for uh, samples of writing to be submitted, and then people are selected. So I applied for a course, uh, or to attend a course of, of poetry, which was, uh, was led by Don Patterson, who is a very well-known uh, uh, um, Scottish poet. And I'm actually, personally, I'm quite surprised that he was not uh, the uh, poet, made the poet laureate. It went to Simon Armitage uh, a few couple of years ago, and Caroline Duffy. Uh, ended her self-imposed term of 10 years. Uh, yeah, so I had to submit uh, my samples of my writing, my work, and I was selected. So that was my first sort of uh, 
at least to my mind, uh, a sign or a signal or an acknowledgement that what I wrote was indeed considered poetry by other people and by people who should know because they were in the business or by the trade. experts in yeah. the field. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's were recognized the people. Yeah. So that was uh, a boost, and I and I and some of my friends have noticed a sort of qualitative change in my writing since then. This since this um, notion or that one was a poet. Uh, for whatever it's worth, um, gave a certain uh, freedom in many ways. And I began to explore different things in different styles. And so, yeah, that's what brought that change about. Wow, that's quite an exciting story of how you discovered poetry. How I discovered poetry was insane. You don't want to know. I will want to know at some point yes <laughs> well, well <it>, so <laughs> the last episode um, on, on my podcast mm -hmm. was a poem around this mm -hmm. uh, it began with my father's shoe it is shoe yeah okay my father's shoe it was a very fancy shoe i think i had a fascination with um, shoes in particular mm -hmm. and uh, i realized that i could write a poetry with that mm -hmm. but we will not get into that <laughs> so I know you draw. You do not draw um, black and white lines. You do not have black and white perspectives on things in life in general. You like to have it open-ended. You like to have room for debate, if you will. But I would like to ask you, what is your philosophy of poetry? I mean, I'm sure you have your, let's call it an idea, ideal. What is your philosophy of, of poetry, right? And what does poetry mean for you? Um, obviously, everybody has their own take on poetry. I mean, it's like I'm often reminded of, not just in terms of poetry or the reference to poetry, but I'm often reminded of this um, story we have of the five blind men and an elephant, and each one is touching one part of the elephant and declaring that part to be what the entire creature is. But the creature obviously is an amalgam uh, oh, of or some of all these parts and more. Uh, so my perspective. To me, poetry, as I said, it is a mysterious process for me because it often, you know, it just comes to me in my mind, a word or a sentence, and then from that or something I see. So I do not claim to be in control of this process or, or understand its origins or what purpose it plays. But purely based on my own reactions to this, and the thoughts that follow the, these reactions, I see it as a mystical process. But then life itself is a mystery. I mean, I don't know what's happening in my body right now. I might be, you know, I'll be ready for an aneurysm or something after the next moment. None of us actually is, is aware of what is taking place. And when, like, for instance, people talk about having a child, now the parents of a child are probably... Um, uh, not probably, they're definitely involved in the actual fertilization process, but what happens afterwards and that whole thing is happening within the mother, but she's not really in control of what's happening. Uh, mm, so from that point of view, the poem is a, 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 no, a great mystery. That, but the, it does give a sense of satisfaction, a sort of creative sense of satisfaction from one, from one point of view. It can be cathartic. Uh, and then I've often, you know, been able to get over emotional roadblocks or bumps or humps on the road, bumps on the road, 
by actually transforming them into words and, and you know externalizing it and that works as a you know but again because of my own personal predilections and my sort of allergy to labels and you know pat uh definitions i wouldn't so go far as to say that it is you know it is a mystical process but by calling it so it's like touching something you shouldn't touch you know something that's pure becomes in, impure when you touch it so i'd rather not touch it and that's why you know, I stopped short of saying that, you know, this is a great mystical process. And, but it is. And I'd like to leave it at that without trying to define it. Because I can't obviously define it. So I, what I'm hearing is you're someone who would like to leave the mystery in the mystical process and, and accept it for what it is. Rather than yeah, I think that's all we can do. If we try to, uh, it's like, you know, an archaeologist... Uh, finding a delicate piece of pottery buried in the ground by trying to uh, excavate it or extricate it it'll probably crumble whereas if you leave it there inside of course it won't serve the archaeologist archaeologist's purpose by doing that but by leaving it there you actually leave it intact wow okay yeah. <laughs> uh, this brings me to um, one question that is a surprise. This is not part of our agreed um, terms of podcasting contract, but it's my show. So, absolutely. How old are you? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, I can tell you that too. I'm not shy. I'm... No way. Really? Every oh, yes. way. Yeah. <laughs> then I, I do have a follow up question. Yes. What do you do to have this voice? Is there some sort of a voice therapy that you do? Do you have a, a routine? Um, yeah, I get up every morning and uh, stand up on my head in a bathtub full of water uh, until... No, obviously that's not uh, true. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, this is, I'm afraid, um, hereditary or, you know, it's got to do with the genes. I, do not, uh, I did not manufacture this and I do not practice to make it what it is. It is useful, I've noticed, uh, in many spheres. But, you know, it's not something I can take credit for or be proud of or anything because it's not something I work to achieve. It's just something... No, but it is useful. No, but I don't, I'm, sure. I, I don't let it go to my head, though, because, you know, that I'm could sure. get in the way of things. <laughs> I'm sure it would have worked wonders uh, with poetry. It does help. It does help. And with the women, too? I'm guessing. Uh, it does help. Yes, it does help. Does. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, um, shall we move on to something quick and fun? Yes. Rapid fire. Rapid question. fire questions. Are you ready? Always. Salad or dessert? No thinking. Uh, actually, both. No, you have to choose. I have to choose. Okay, desserts. Although salads are probably more healthy, but then who cares? Desserts. All right. <laughs> Poetry. Or fame and money. Choose. No thinking. Poetry. Uh, poetry. Really? Yeah, because it hasn't worked till now. So why, why bother about it? <laughs> well, you heard it from the man himself. Poetry. Over fame and money. Love or luxury? No luxury. For <laughs> <laughs> someone who's a poet, you choosing luxury, that's a bit ironic. Well, love is a luxury. <laughs> Ooh. All right. <laughs> Fight or flight? Uh, depends. 
but I have to choose. You have to choose. You have to choose one word. Fight. Yes, you do. The flight like, is not an option. You mm. do look like someone who could uh, put up a fight. Have you got? Yeah, the appearances music? are deceptive, but they're useful again, like the voice. <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> I'm a very peaceful person, but if my appearance is forbidding or formidable, it's useful. I know people walk. You know, they yes. don't come to bother you too much. Then. Have you noticed that people tend to um, keep trouble away from you because of how you look? I I am aware of the fact that I sometimes uh, what's the word intimidate, intimidate people. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is not intentional, but some occasionally I do use it, and in some occasions, on, on some occasions it is useful. Yeah, wow. to kind of diffuse situations before they become a, a more more incendiary. Oh, yeah. Lastly, yes. How many women have you impressed with poetry? Uh, I'm not into keeping records. <laughs> All right, but that I take it that you have impressed them. Yeah, uh, more than one, shall we say? That is good enough. Let us it? leave it at that. Yes, and not just the women, but you impressed. I'm sure the entire audience. I've absolutely <laughs> been impressed with this whole process. Um, well, so I'm flattered. Ravi, thank you so thank much. Thank you very much. Pleasure indeed. to have you here. My pleasure. And uh, any final words? For the audience, I think there's you can, enough. You can remind them to follow my show if, if that's if you'd like. Yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> that's the very fact that they they're here and they're watching your show means that uh, they should they will be encouraged to do so more. I and mean, there'll be probably many much more or many more interesting people coming here and sharing their points of view. Uh, as for last words to the audience, uh, frankly, I fe feel that there's enough of this so-called uh, knowledge sharing and wisdom sharing going on these days, you know, especially post-pandemic. Uh, everyone and their dog is on, you know, is kind of sharing things with people and giving people advice and telling people what to do and how to live their lives, how to tie their shoelaces and how to cook their meals and what to eat and what not to eat. So I uh, uh, thank you, you know, you, you do what you like and do it. I mean, whether if you want to follow people, follow them. If you don't, do not. But do what you like. Don't, you know, drown in this this flood of advice. I have no advice for anybody. Okay. Speaking <laughs> of following who you like and following who you do not like, how might people find you? If someone wants to follow you, how might they find you? Maybe your Instagram, the name of your book, perhaps. Uh, yeah, books. Now, I am, yeah, well... I only have one book out at the moment. Uh, that took place about 10 years ago, which is not my doing, apart from the photograph on the cover and the painting at the back and the text of the poems, my contribution is zero. This was done by a dear friend of mine uh, who actually uh, you know, chose the poems and designed the book and uh, got it done. It's done through one of those print-on-demand publishers called Blurb. So it's on blurb.com uh, for that. There is, however, another um, book, again, sort of self-published, coming out shortly, called Lockdown Sonnets. Uh, it's the first volume of it, which is sonnets that I, the old traditional sonnet form that I wrote during the early days of the pandemic, which is in March, April, uh, 2020 uh, and that apart there's I'm also planning a sort of um, 
a selected works thing because you know I'm not going to wait as I, I just shared with <laughs> with Nidin. Um, one is not exactly a spring chicken. So I thought it's time that I put some things together just to give it to my friends and for myself. That be another one. So I'm planning a second or two more during the, in the next few months. And I'm as for so where sure. to find me, I'm uh, on Instagram as Pradeep Dharmapalan. And there too, I, it usually, I mean, initially it was mostly my photographs and uh, some printed poems. Uh, but of late, again, at the behest of some friends and well-wishers, um, I've begun posting reels of my poetry. So that's one place that I am uh, visible. Uh, otherwise, I can be contacted on my email address, I guess. If you want, yeah. But no, if you want to see my my work, it's probably on Instagram. I, will be, leaving, I will be leaving a link um, to Pradeep's Instagram profile and his email address for those of you who really want it. Yeah, but it's always good to have feedback. That's one of the reasons, I know. It's good to know things. Well, that's it. Um, you heard it from the man himself. And we will be back again next week with another guest, another poet, and a lot more poetry. And until then, here's Pradeep Dharmapal once again. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very much Appreciate indeed. It. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Closing it for the day.